Good morning, church family. Burr. It's cold, isn't it? Uh, glad you made it out. Brave the, uh, the, the weather to come out to be a part of this very special service when we set aside or set apart these seven men and their families for deacon service here at Ashley River Baptist Church. Um, I want to share with you that John is true, uh, that yes, you do get a free uh, toothbrush and floss, but somebody paid for it, John. Somebody paid for it. I would say probably in your premiums. At any rate, <laughs> nevertheless, I want to invite us to turn open in our, your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. And as you're turning there, I want to share with you that in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to begin our journey through the book of Genesis 1 through 12. It's um, a sermon series titled Beginnings. And uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of topics that are hot-button topics here in today's culture. For example, the age of the earth, the number of genders, marriage, the biblical institution of marriage, the flood, was it worldwide or local, race, and religion, and even more. So we're going to be talking about all of these things as we march our way through Genesis chapters 1 through uh, 12. Uh, yesterday we participated, actually Friday night and, and Saturday, we participated in a deacon retreat. It was a special time. Prior to that, we had a staff retreat. So the staff of your church met and we brainstormed and dreamed and prayed and asked God to give us vision for how we will lead this church into 2024. And the deacons all got together and we, we learned how to survive. We did a wilderness survival exercise and we learned how to live our faith from head to toe. How we were to put on the full armor of God, how we are to serve our church faithfully because that is exactly what the word deacon means. It is a servant. So servant leadership is, of course, emulated by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we turn to Matthew chapter 7, we hear some words that may be familiar to you this morning. But I'm going to encourage you to dig underneath of what the words say and the deeper meaning of where Jesus wants you and I to be in relationship to him. So if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7, it says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Father, this is your word. We thank you for it. We thank you that Jesus spoke these words 2,000 years ago on the northern sea of Galilee. 
to his disciples, teaching them what it means to be in relationship with you and with others. Father, we pray that these words will penetrate our hearts, change our behaviors, so that we might glorify you in our service, both to you, your church, and to others in our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, as I think about this particular passage, I'm uh, reminded of the movie Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire is a is a, a movie that came out in the 80s, and it was following the life of a man named Eric Lydell. Eric Lydell had been called, he felt called by God to become a missionary to China. However, the Olympics were coming up, and many wanted him to run in the Olympics because he had a tremendous gift of running fast. And so Eric Lydell was this man who was in tension between how do I serve God and yet continue in my joy of work, working out and becoming a runner in the Olympics. Well, eventually, he tells his sister these words. I will go to the Olympics and I will run. And then I will go to the mission field because both of them honor God. He said, God made me for a purpose, for China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give that up would be to hold God in contempt. Now, why did I share that story with you? Because each deacon who is going to be ordained this morning has a life outside of the church. You have a family. You have work. You have other activities and events in your lives. These are important things. But you also are now stepping into a calling on your life from God. And what I find is the message here from Eric Lydell, and it's the message that Jesus gives to all of us who claim his name as Savior, is that our lives should be consumed with our relationship to God in such a way that it spills over into every facet of our being. That to be a deacon in the church is not enough. You are, in fact, a servant outside the church as well. You are a servant in your home. You are a servant in your neighborhood. You are a servant in your workplace. You are a servant in this community. And so Jesus gives us some uh, poignant words, words that we should really listen to carefully as he talks about the three imperatives of every Christian. So today, as we think about first things first, we first must think about service as asking. Service to God, we ask. We ask. Look at what it says there. Ask, and it will be given to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Now, of course, the Lord himself spent much time in prayer. Many times throughout the Gospels, Jesus Christ would leave early in the morning, get up while it is still dark, go to a quiet place, and pray to his heavenly Father. Now, you and I would ask the question, why does Jesus have to pray? He does it for two reasons. Number one, he understood that in his flesh, in his incarnation, he needed God every hour. 
In addition to that, he did so to show an example for his disciples and for us that we too should seek God in prayer on a regular basis. Did you realize that Jesus spent the entire night praying before he called his disciples, his apostles? He spent an entire evening in prayer. When his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray, he gave them the model prayer, how to ask God for the things that we need. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. From evil. No, Jesus taught them how to pray, but there's an important thing here. We have to pray with the right motives. You realize that James talks about this. Solomon in the Old Testament prayed for wisdom. And James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God for it and he will give it to you generously. Well, we know that he answered Solomon's prayer for wisdom as James articulates as well. It's interesting, too, that James says that we have to ask God. You know, you do not have because you do not ask. And then he says, and you don't have because you ask sometimes with the wrong motives. You have to have the right motives in your prayer life. You have to ask in faith. In Philippians chapter 4, it says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. God wants to hear from you. We are to ask in his name. Jesus said, whatever you ask for in my name, the Father will give you. In 1 James chapter 5, he talks about praying in God's will. When you and I come to God in prayer, we shouldn't be asking for what we want. We should be actually asking what is his will. This, of course, we find in Jesus. We find him in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was betrayed. What did he do? He prayed. He said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Once again, Jesus is teaching us that asking God is something that should be a regular pattern in our lives. Prayer is important. We have to ask with specificity. That's a hard word to say. Specificity. We have to be specific in our prayer requests. And you ask the question, why do I have to be so specific? Why do I even have to pray? Actually, the word of God actually says God knows your needs before you ask. So why do we need to go to God in prayer? The reason is, is because prayer is a humble admission of our need for him. It is a humble, it's a recognition that you can't do this thing called life without God. He is the one who sustains you. He is the one who protects you. He is the one who provides for you. You see, we shouldn't be praying for things as much as qualities. We should pray for qualities like wisdom, 
like Solomon asked for. We should pray for discernment. All of us are faced with decisions every single day. Pray that God will give you discernment, a right mind, a wise mind, to be able to really deal with each situation the way he would have us deal with it. We have to deal in the sense of the fruit of the Spirit. We should pray that God will give us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and yes, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is something that we should pray on a daily basis that God would give to us. But you see, asking is not enough. We have to also seek. You have to seek. Do you realize that there is an increase in intensity here? That simply asking for something is one thing, but then to seek it is quite another. Seeking actually requires physical movement. Seeking actually requires a bending of the will, the mind, and the heart. Jesus, in the previous chapter here of Matthew, Matthew 6, he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. We are to seek. In Proverbs, the proverbial writer says this, Those who seek me will find me. And many of us have a, a favorite passage in Jeremiah 29 when Jeremiah is writing on behalf of God to the Israelites who are in exile, who are displaced from their homes, who are longing to return to their home country. God says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 17, Paul says that God did this, did, he actually came and he established the nations of people so that they may seek him and perhaps reach out to him and to find him, though he is not very far from any one of us. And then in Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 6, it says this, that God rewards those who diligently seek him. So now you ask, but you have to then seek. And it's interesting because as you ask and you seek, you have to seek God with all of your heart, but you also have to seek his kingdom. What does that mean to seek God's kingdom? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And it's interesting, in the Gospels we learn this, that Jesus said the kingdom of God is not out there. The kingdom of God is not over there. Don't seek a kingdom that is beyond you. In fact, the kingdom of God is within. It's in your heart. You understand that when Jesus came to establish his kingdom, he didn't come to set up buildings and towers and fortresses. No, he came to take over your heart. He wants your heart bent toward him. He wants you to surrender your will, your heart, your mind to his will, his heart and his mind. You see, when you do that, then all of a sudden the pressure is off of you to lead your best life. No, now you are dependent 
You are absolutely leaning on, relying upon the goodwill, the good pleasure, the wisdom, and the power, and the love of a God who created you. Isn't that wonderful? That he is the one who created you. Look at what it says there in verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or asks for a fish and gives him a snake? The question obviously is in the, he's, he's responding in a way that he says, listen, there's no one that would want that. No father would do that. You men here who have children, you know you would not give a stone to your son who asks for bread. And then Jesus makes it more interesting. He says, and, and you're evil. You're in the flesh. You have sin in your life. You, you do things that are against my holy law. You're a human being, but I'm God. I am your heavenly father. And I will never give you a stone. I will give you bread. And in fact, I've given you more than bread. I've given you manna from heaven. I've given you my son, Jesus Christ. I have given you the bread of life. And when Jesus sat around that table the night he was betrayed and the night before he was crucified, he said, this is my body. Take and eat. It is given for you. God is a giver of good gifts. And so God the Father will give you good gifts, good gifts that you need. All you have to do is seek him and his kingdom and his righteousness. It says here that we are to seek his righteousness. Righteousness is right standing before God. Are you righteous today? Jesus said this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Are you hungering and thirsting for this righteousness, this right standing before God? That is the essence of what God's called us to, is a holy life. In First Peter, he says, be holy, even as I am holy. There's no way any human being can be holy like God unless God lives within him, unless God controls every action, every thought, every behavior that you take. Then you can be holy like God. The righteous, it says in Romans chapter 1, will live by faith. The righteous live by faith. When you trust Christ with all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength, what he does is he gives you wisdom beyond your own understanding. This is what a deacon is to do. You're a servant because you have first served in prayer to God. You've come to him. You've said, I've got this relationship with God. Now what do I do with it? Well, then we are to knock. You know, it's interesting that um, the other day Susan lost her phone. How many of you ever lost your phone? And then you ask somebody, please call my phone. You ever done that? Yep, Susan lost her phone the other day. And, um, and at first, what did she do? She asked me, she goes, hey, Randy, have you seen my phone? And I'd say... No, even though I might have. No, I would never do that, people. But she asked me first, you see. 
And then, what, did, what, did, what do you think she did? When I said, no, I haven't seen it, what did she do? She went and sought after it. She went seeking for her phone. She, un, you know, she pulled the couch cushions apart, right? She, uh, she went into the kitchen. She went into the bathroom. She went, you know, out to the garage to her car. She looked in her purse. She couldn't find it, right? And then finally, what did she do? She went upstairs and she started knocking on Abby's bedroom door. Abby, do you have my phone? Do you see the intensity of each step here increases? You ask God, but then you don't stop there. You seek God. You go, God, where are you in my life? Help me see you in my life. And then, of course, you have to be like that persistent neighbor in Luke chapter 11. He's, he's knocking on the door. Hey, I need some bread for a family that come into town and sat with me and they are staying with me. I need some bread. And because he kept on knocking, the, the neighbor finally gets himself up out of bed and delivers the bread. You see, God wants us to be persistent in our knocking. In addition to that, it's like the widow. Remember the widow? In Luke chapter 18, the, the widow wanted justice and she kept appealing to the judge over and over and over and over again. And Jesus said, "This you need to be like this widow. She is making her appeal over and over and over again. Why? Why do we do that? Because we trust that God knows what's best for us, but he wants us to come to him with such great passion and persistence because we know he's the only one who has the answer. He's the only one who has the answer. And so therefore, I think it's fascinating that you and I sit here this morning and we have God at our disposal 24-7. My question for us is this, are we asking every hour? Are we seeking every hour? Are we knocking every hour? For those in this congregation or listening from live stream, I'll say this. Revelation 3.20 says that Jesus stands at the door of your heart. He never stops knocking. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Won't you let him in? For these men, they have. And they have to build that vertical relationship. But we can't close this message out without dealing with what's known commonly as the golden rule. Look at what it says there in verse 12. So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, it's interesting that this is not a unique principle to Jesus Christ. Buddha, 500 B.C., said something similar to this. Confucius, 400 B.C., said something similar to this. This is also popular in Islam. It's popular in other world religions. Zoroastrianism is actually a, a world religion that this principle is applied. But here's the difference, and hear this true. Every other application of this principle is in the negative. Every one of them says, don't do to others what you would have them do to you. 
In other words, remain inactive, passive. Don't do anything. But Jesus turns it around and he says, do to others what you would have them do unto you. This is why it's the golden rule. Because it requires action on our part to actually go and love another person, to serve them, to provide for our need, to comfort them, to show mercy to them, to actually get involved in another person's life. Jesus here is saying that your fellow man has needs and your job is to go meet them as you would have them meet your needs. This is the golden rule. And it's interesting how Jesus attaches this golden rule onto the back of asking, seeking, and knocking in our relationship with God. Gentlemen, listen to me. If you don't have your vertical relationship with God down pat, if you are not in daily communion and fellowship with him, then you will never be able to fulfill the golden rule. Because that is your relationship with others. So first things first, our service. Service to God. Service to others. So this morning, my encouragement for all of you is to serve with gladness. Because you're serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We thank you that this word is here for us to embrace and to involve in our daily living. May we constantly, regularly, consistently come to you in prayer. May we ask, seek, and knock so that we may do unto others as they would do to us. Because this fulfills the entire law and prophets, everything that you had been saying up until the time of Christ. Father, thank you for these men. And we enter into this special time of laying on of hands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In your order of service, we have a charge to the deacons, and I invite everyone to stay. This is a very solemn, a very important, a valuable time in the life of these men and their families. Their wives are here. I now invite Jack Stinson to come up and pro proclaim the charge to these men.